Hi, and welcome to Data Futurology, the podcast where you can get the skills required to take your career in the data space up to the next level. In this podcast, we speak with top industry leaders out there in the world today to learn from their perspectives and their past mistakes. My name is Felipe Flores. I am your host. Thank you so much for being here. I hope that you are having a wonderful week. Today, we have a different type of episode. This is a presentation that I did at the Chief Data and Analytics Officer Conference in Canberra, and it is on explainable AI. So in this one, I discuss what is explainable AI, what is why it is important, how you can start delving into explainable AI, discussing some of the libraries and some of the approaches, and then we talk about how it's going to become more important in the future. As always, if you enjoyed the episode, please share it with one friend. And also, please send me your favorite quote from the episode. As with all episodes, send me your favorite quote on LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, on the website, any of those. Thank you so much for tuning in. And here's a presentation on explainable AI. I hope you enjoy it. Oh, good. And Mike is on. Good morning. Hello. Obviously, I'm not from government, so thank you so much for having me here in the last day and a half almost. It's been really great hearing all the applications, all the good work being done in government, learning so much about the, all your different agencies and realizing that the challenges that you guys are facing in government are so similar to the ones that we have in industry. So I've been taking a lot of notes around what you guys are doing. And uh, with this talk, I, I hope to bring you some practical tools on what we're doing, especially around the avoiding ethical pitfalls, which is something that we're all sort of starting to face against. Very quickly, I'm working at Liberty Financial for about six months now. Liberty Financial is a group of about 12 finance companies. All companies do lending or insurance. And these are some of the lending products, insurance, life insurance, TPD, income protection, things like that. The reason why I came across is to centralize the data teams, so data engineering, data science, etc., centralize them and uplift the capability across the 12 companies, so across the group. I also volunteer with the Data Science Melbourne Meetup Group, which is now the fourth largest meetup group in the world. And we run events in Melbourne for the community. And it's a bunch of uh, sometimes technical presentations and sometimes more strategic ones. And the other thing that I do is I run this podcast called Data Futurology, which is a data science podcast with over 10,000 listeners worldwide. And in that one, I speak to uh, leaders in the data space around the applications, the good work that they're doing, and also their lessons learned, what they could teach the next generation of data scientists. And I also speak to um, top data scientists around the world, like people winning international data science competitions and what were their approaches. And some of them have been doing it for two years. So they tell us about how they got into data science and what were the courses that they did. We've had guests from government, including Marek, obviously, uh, did a really popular post, a really popular episode. We also had uh, Dr. Anthony Ray from BOM, which was also really good. So today we'll be talking about sexism, racism, and bias, and how we can all minimize the likelihood that we get caught up in those type of problems. Obviously, it's a big issue where we have the large tech companies being caught in this. So, for example, here, Amazon Scrape's secret AI recruiting tool that had a bias against women. Obviously, terrible. This is about a, an algorithm that the U.S. government had around people that were going to re-offend. 
and who was likely to go back into jail. And what they found uh, down here is that it targeted specific racial groups. Over here, we talk about, uh, there's an article about facial recognition. It works great if you're a male and you're white. And for everyone else, uh, too bad. We had a, uh, there was a study, these uh, researchers checked Google's algorithm on how it was working when it was presenting jobs to people. Almost like the LinkedIn function that shows you jobs that you would be good for or when you're job hunting. And what they found is that the high paying jobs were shown where it was less likely that they would be shown to women, drastically less likely, with high paying jobs being shown to women 11% of the time and 89% of the time being shown to males. And that is even worse than the representation of women in boards and senior positions in the US, which at the moment is at about 25%. And this algorithm was showing these jobs to women 11% of the time. So super, super terrible. And then uh, the last example that I have is Amazon ditching their uh, recruiting tool that it was favoring men for certain types of jobs. Obviously a huge issue. The big tech companies have been smeared with this by making mistakes in this space. And as a result, there's been a lot, of, a lot of research and a lot of implementations of tools that we can start to use today. So I'll walk you through some of those and with a view of how we can start to open the black box and start to understand where we could potentially be making mistakes and obviously correcting them before we get to this point. The dirty secret with all this, examples that we just shown or talked about, is that the racism and the sexism is in our data. So whenever there's a new algorithm and goes onto the news and people go, ah, that naughty algorithm, poor algorithm, you know, it was so sexist, let's take it down. Or that algorithm is so racist, let's take it down. And we're not really sort of addressing the problem that the racism and the sexism is in the data. And it's in the data because that's how we've operated our companies, our institutions in the past. And now we're taking that data, teaching algorithms how to essentially replicate our decisions, and then they're showing us in a quantifiable way, as we'll see a bit later, how racist or sexist uh, that data is. So there's some approaches in terms of limiting the amount of data that goes into the algorithm. And what I'll show you now is how we can measure those uh, negative impacts on the algorithm. So at least the way that we'll talk about this today, uh, the ethical AI is has a component of explainable AI, and that's opening up the algorithms. And then as a result, there's obviously a lot of tough discussions with ethical boards that a lot of companies have started to put in place. You probably heard that Google's ethical board lasted about seven days, and then it was uh, knocked back because of the pushback from the organization and, and externals on the type of people that were sitting in the board and the type of powers that they were going to have. So there's obviously a lot of discussions on this tough talk side. And obviously there's a lot of progress happening in the government as well. So let's talk about the explainable AI side and how we go from this black box to ideally something more like that. Traditionally, when we think of black box algorithms and the reason why we go with those is because they have a higher degree of accuracy. As we use algorithms that are more interpretable, the accuracy starts to decrease. And that's sort of a accepted reality of our industry. And what we're trying to do now is start to create algorithms that are up here. So much more open, much more accurate. And what's happening is that there's a lot of developments on top of the algorithms that exist today that are taking these types of algorithms in terms of accuracy, moving them across and making them more open. So I have a couple of examples that are 
sort of generic and something that uh, you would have encountered as a user of financial services and I tried to make it both open and that's essentially job applications, insurance claims and loans. And we'll talk about these three ways to tackle it. One is an approach that you can take that's easy, that you could literally do this within a week. And then these two are packages that I'll describe a little bit more that are open source. This one both in R and Python, and then this one in Python. And I'll show a little bit, a little bit about how they work and how you can use them to your advantage. So on the job applications, uh, what happens is you can take a, an CV and as you start to scale up the number of applications that you have and you start to get to sizes of large companies or governments, there is definitely a need for an automated decision making. And what starts to happen is that sometimes as this sort of bias starts to creep in, if you start uncover some of the inputs that are leading that decision, you can get to places where it's been decided on name, on address, and even on university. And for example, somebody with a name like Felipe might be scored lower than somebody with a name like Tyler. And then obviously some of the tough discussion, is that fair, is that not? As data people, should we look to bump up the university scores or something like that from say people from uh, Latin America versus people who are from here? That's the, the type of tough discussions that we're heading into because of the inequality that we have in the world today and the algorithms being able to show it. So a really easy way to start to get over this is to lean into it and predict the bias so in machine learning, at least in the supervised, uh, supervised machine learning, when we give the algorithm the answer that we're looking for and we get it to learn from lots of examples, we're trying to say which customer is going to be most profitable or which applicant is going to be most likely to perform well at this job. Thinking about tackling the bias angle, we can start to say, algorithm, take the CV data and try to predict the gender of the person or try to predict the race of the person. And obviously we would give them the examples. Once you have that from a lot of the algorithms, you can say, what are the inputs that you're taking into consideration to determine race? And a simple way to do it is then to go back to your data and remove those key inputs that it's flagging as uh, predictors of race. Once you've removed those inputs, you can take your new data set without those inputs and then try to predict the job performance once again. So that's a sort of quick and easy way to start to remove the bias in terms of race and sexism from our data sets today with approaches that we have today. Now we'll, we'll go into using, or the, the two examples that I have left are using unstructured data, so using text and images, but these approaches work just as well with structured data. So essentially the, the columns and the databases that we're used to dealing with. When thinking about images, a lot of the algorithms that look at images are mostly black box. And as we heard, for example, deep learning, the blackest of, of boxes. And then there's other approaches that are less black boxy. And a good way to look at, to understand how the algorithm is doing is by looking at the accuracy. How accurate is this model? And here we're trying to predict, do an image classification to see whether the image that's presented, is it a wolf or a husky? And then here we have the, what the model is predicting and what the actual answer is. So we say the model's predicting wolf, it's actually a wolf in this image. And then here we have husky, husky, so that's correct. Wolf, wolf, it's correct. Here's a mistake. This is correct, this is correct. So when we look at it from an accuracy perspective, we go, you know what? This algorithm's actually doing really well. One out of six, not too bad. Then with what I'll show you next is we can start to see 
exactly what are the components of the image that the algorithm is focusing on to make that decision. And what we see in this case is that when we're predicting wolf, the algorithm is focusing on snow. And when it's predicting husky, it's focusing on parts of the animal. So if you go through wolf, a lot of focus on the snow. Over here, wolf, a lot of focus on the snow. This part, the second part of the image is what the algorithm is focusing on. And over here, because this husky was in the snow, it was predicted to be a wolf. So if you look at just the accuracy, it looks great. And to try and differentiate these two races, and then what you get is that it's actually just looking at the snow. So obviously a, a terrible outcome and things that we want to know about. One library that can help us uncover this, and that's how the, um, the work that I just shown was done, it's called Lime, and Lime stands for this. And essentially what it's doing is running a bunch of very open models, so interpretable, and it's obviously a difficult word for me because I speak Spanish as a first language and this is one of the tough words to say in English when you make the transition. But what this does, it runs, uh, this package runs multiple models that are quite open and quite transparent and it automatically compares it to very black box models in terms of accuracy and performance and then it chooses the ways of the open models to make the predictions because it can tell you exactly how that works. This library, Lime, at the moment it only does classifications, so not regressions. In machine learning classification is when we are trying to pick from a category. So say if you're thinking about fraud, you can say this transaction was fraudulent or not fraudulent. Or as we saw before, the categories were husky or wolf and the algorithm can pick. It doesn't have to be two, it can be 10 or 20. And the more categories you have, the more data you need. But then classification is picking one out of a category. The other big type of machine learning models are regressions in which it gives you a number, typically a probability between zero and one, or you can think about it as a percentage as well. And uh, this package line works for the classifications and it came out of this study done at, at MIT, which are explaining the predictions of any classifier. Really, really good package. So if you're trying to do an insurance claim and you're trying to understand your bias there, the algorithm will show you whether you are pro or against people that have pink bathtubs as you get sort of the pictures of the insurance claims. And obviously I'm not gonna judge if you have pink bathtubs, all good to you. And that might be positive or negative in terms of your insurance claim. Good for time, uh, loan application. And then this one is a tech space. So similar to the previous example, I'll give you the non-financial, uh, the library, and then the, the financial example. The non-financial here is using this package called ELI5. I'll explain it a little bit more in the next slide. It's processing text, and in this case, to predict religion. And they had lots of emails between people, and they were trying to identify, or trying to predict religion, obviously one of the biases that uh, we need to be careful with. And what they found here is that they could predicted pretty well, but then when they started to look into what were the components that told them about the prediction accuracy, they saw that because these were emails, they had the email addresses, and they saw that the .edu was a huge predictor of people who were non-religious or atheists. So essentially saying people who work as researchers in universities are very likely to be non-religious. And is that dangerous territory for one of our applications? Is that a type of bias that we want to avoid in our algorithms? It depends on the application. But the idea here is that you can do this level of transparency in your algorithms by using this package. So essentially it tells you in text, in unstructured data, exactly which are the words that are driving the prediction. 
So this, the library is called ELI5 and it, it was named after so an internet meme that stands for uh, explain it like I'm five. And from the meme, then there was a lot of articles being written in this style. So if you say ELI, which is the acronym, ELI5 quantum physics, you will find articles that explain quantum physics like I'm a five-year-old. And then the idea is that you go through this and you go, great, I get it. I get this really tough concept in a very simple way. So the package is leveraging the same understanding. So when you do look for this one, you do have to go ELI5 Python or ELI5 package, and then it'll take you to the specific pa uh, package. As I mentioned before, this one works with a lot of other libraries that are for machine learning and library and in Python, including scikit-learn, which is one that does many, many types of machine learning models, and XGBoost and LightGBM that are more specific ones. XGBoost has been extremely successful in the last few years on international data science competitions. Many, many of the winners have been using uh, this package because it runs over the data hundreds of thousands of times, getting more and more accurate every time. So it's automating some of the work that a manual, that a data scientist would do manually in terms of working on an algorithm over time for say a year. This package looks to automate a lot of that, and but it's very slow. And then LightGBM is a version of this one, which is a lot faster. And this ELI5 uses one or many of those other packages and compares the black box version against multiple open algorithms so then it can tell you how it's making the decisions. And this is another example in where you're, they're trying to classify the type of animal and then you have sort of the mathematical explanation over here and then you can have the visual representation of what the algorithm is focusing on to say that this one is classified as a frog with this level of certainty. I mentioned that this one, or both of these packages, Lime and ELO5, uh, they work with unstructured data and also with structured data. This is an example of structured data where the input data set was the list of people that boarded the Titanic, and then they were labeled in terms of whether they survived or not. Then this was run through ELI5 using XGBoost, so typically a very black box model, and then we started to see how it, the model is making the decisions with ELI5, and we see that if for the female passengers, they were very likely to survive. And obviously, we know this is a rule of thumb of women and children first. So that's something that we is known and we understand, and it's a good rule of thumb. The one that's not known and sort of the bias maybe undercurrent is this one, which is if you were in third class, you were very likely to die. So that's sort of the unspoken ways that essentially the world works, some realities of the world that the algorithms are now helping us see. And we can see here that anything stronger than this is biased. And this number is a positive and negative. So obviously it's saying biased positively towards female and biased negatively against lower classes. And third was the lowest. So you had first class, second class, and then third was sort of the cattle class. So ELI5 does classification regressions across images, text, and, and structured data. So unstructured and structured, very powerful package in Python. I think I'll skip through this one. This is just uh, looking at a bank statement, also text. It can start to highlight the type of transactions that people are doing. So just to wrap up, I'll talk about the legislations that is coming sort of worldwide. There's a little movement in this space from many governments and the citizens' expectations. The one that's most famous so far is GDPR. So from Europe, that in Article 13 to 15, they 
mention a right to an explanation when an algorithm makes a decision that affects your life. So say a job application, a loan application, an insurance claim, like they are, those directly affect your life. And with the scale that we're hitting in the world, all of these are being automated. How do we go to explain it? Now we have some of these packages that I mentioned. And obviously, uh, Europe was just, I think, just the first mover and different countries are going to put their own legislations and standards and requirements. And then we're going to be in this world that if we, the more countries that we operate in, then the more sort of legislations that we need to abide by. And just at the end, so XAI, so explainable AI is there. It's more ethical in the sense that it's more transparent, but it can also help us to make better business decisions. And by that, I mean that uncovering the ways that the algorithm is making that decision can help us avoid blunders, as the examples that we saw, but it can also inform us in terms of how the algorithm is crunching through the data and how it's perceiving it and making those decisions. And we can learn from that and then come up with new hunches or new hypotheses that we would like to test and have sort of this virtual circle with the algorithm. The explainable AI helps us with trust, obviously being, being a lot more open. We can verify that the predictions are being accurate and done in a way that we expect. It helps us manage expectations, so these rising citizens' expectations. And as I just mentioned, it helps us improve by being able to open up the way that these decisions are being made, work with business, with the experts, with the stakeholders that know the, the domain problem and uh, show them the types of the inputs that the algorithms are using to make these decisions. And we can all learn from that. That is all. Thank you uh, very much. That brings this episode to conclusion. Thank you so much for listening. Please find us on datafuturology.com or on Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn or Instagram as Data Futurology. Also go to datafuturology.com forward slash podcast to find the show notes for this and any other episodes. If you like this episode, it would mean a lot to us if you could leave us a review wherever you listen to our podcast. I hope you enjoyed this episode and that it was helpful and valuable for you. Thanks again and see you next time.